Modern Manhood is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. It's home to awesome podcasts all around the province, including one that I'm um, I'm a contributor on. Well, slowly a contributor on. I've written two pieces for the Fourth Line Podcast because hockey is also one of my one of my passions. And you know, I wrote about the Oilers and I wrote about the Columbus Blue Jackets, two of my favorite teams. Um, but the Fourth Line was awesome enough to allowed me to share all my opinions about them. Um, but The Fourth Line is actually a great podcast to listen to, even though one of their hosts um, is a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And I'm not a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Um, I actually I dislike that team very much. But they're still a fun listen to. I think that's like the best endorsement I can give you, is that even though one of the hosts is a fan of a team that I absolutely dislike, I still love to listen to them. So, go check out all the awesome podcasts at the Alberta Podcast Network at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Find out how much you dislike a certain team or something like that. <laughs> but go check them out. It's albertapodcastnetwork.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Manhood. I'm your host, Herman Vijegas. As you know, Modern Manhood is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. You can check out all their awesome podcasts at thealbertapodcastnetwork.com. And as you always know, the Alberta Podcast Network is powered by ATV. When I went into university, I was going to be a coder. I loved computers. I took a lot of computer classes in university. And my teachers all told me that that's where the future was. That's where the money was. Everyone was going into computers and the future was there. So that's what I did. I went into computer sciences and I thought I was going to be set. Now, two years into it, and I hated it. I hated my classes. I hated that I didn't understand it. I was actually terrible at coding. I hated it. And my marks showed it. So from advice of a friend... I went into teaching because I loved listening and giving advice and I could see myself up there in the front of a classroom. So I finished teaching and I couldn't find a job. I took a bunch of odd jobs here and there and uh, 10 years later, I started working in the mental health field and helping youth. That's where I am right now. Now, all of those times I changed my career path, they really gnawed at my question of identity. What was I supposed to be? What am I supposed to give out to the world? And in it also answered that question that the path of a career, even for yourself, was never in a straight line. I mean, I I think we're lucky if that ever happens. Now, Andrew Paul faced the same questions of identity when he had to make the harsh realization that journalism, it's a dying industry, and that landing a steady job as a journalist was going to be a major difficulty. So he switched his role to help out nonprofits in editing and communications and is now working for the Edmonton Community Foundation, highlighting the stories of donors of endowment funds. And he does this with the help of many people throughout the Well Endowed podcast. But Andrew's quick to say that his story is not singular. It wasn't just him doing all the work. It was actually helped along with the many fantastic women in his life. Either his grandma, his wife, or his many bosses that allowed him to pursue his passion in his line of work. Throughout his life and career, he has weaved what his life and career has been 
and it also hits a question many men face: What kind of man am I if I'm not doing my passion? Who shapes our passion, and who questions them? Now, word of note: I chatted with Andrew before the ECF became a partner with the Alberta Podcast Network, so this was a happy coincidence. But. This interview is not a full-on ad for them, so please be aware that I wanted to talk to Andrew way before any of that happened. Saying that, though, I do love the ECF and I, live, I do love what they do, so um, I would have done this episode anyways. So, in that, this is my chat with Andrew Paul. Welcome to Out Podcast is a podcast that we produce. Uh, with uh, and through uh, the Edmonton Community Foundation. Uh, so it is actually Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast. So that is part of my day job there. So what Edmonton Community Foundation, and I'll just say ECF from this point yeah, forward. Yeah, for sure. Because that is a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what ECF does is they work with donors to open up endowment funds. And then those endowment funds in turn provide grants to registered charities um, in Edmonton and uh, beyond, uh, essentially. So I work in the communications department over there, and my job is to tell the stories of donors and of the uh, literally hundreds of charities that we provide money to, um, to fund the work that they're doing. Um, so the podcast fits into that, along with uh, the quarterly magazine that I produce for them. Uh, and then I also run their social media and website and so on and so on and so doing on. Doing all the stuff communications people do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's all, it's all, all the stuff. stuff. <laughs> um, I really love the Well Endowed podcast just because it is an awesome like storytelling way of trying to um, put a little bit of human face into into Edmontonians' lives and also like uh, philanthropic adventures in general. Tell me why you wanted to do the podcast in general. Why do you think the podcast is such a good idea to... Uh, promote these kind of things. Uh, the idea for that actually came from our producer, Lisa Pruden, uh, who is a colleague of mine over there. Which is funny. I do know Lisa from another thing. But we can talk about that. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And she, she's great. Uh, and uh, she's the executive assistant of our CEO uh, and was looking for a way to be more involved and came to um, the communications department, uh, my boss, Carol Watson, uh, and said, we should, uh, or have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And in the back of my mind, it's like, yeah, a podcast was in the back of the mind, but never really had the time to actually take that ball and run with it. And Lisa did and does. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast, brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation. Um, so we felt that a podcast would be great uh, for a way to bring in a bunch of other voices to talk about not only the foundation, but more importantly, uh, the work that the foundation supports, because that is really, you know, the, the important stuff. Uh, but staying with the theaters, Darren also took us to the first location of the Citadel Theater and what used to be the Dapple Gray Cafe. This story was a hard one to hear. The Starlight Room used, that was the first Citadel Theater. And then 
down here, and it, I don't think it's where the pizza place is, but one past it, there didn't used to be an entrance to a parking lot here. There was actually a place called the Dapple Grey Cafe. So this was where gay men would cruise at night in the 70s and 60s. Well, I don't know about the 60s, but in the 70s for sure, in the early 80s. And then there was a 24-hour cafe here that was gay-owned and gay-friendly called the Dapple Grey Cafe. Back in the day, when I think I was 19, so it was 1983, when I went to my first murder funeral, the friend of mine that was murdered by a guy that he took home, and a drag queen recognized the murderer on the hill and spotted him and pretended to pick him up and took him to the Dapple Grey and called the cops, and that's how they caught the murderer. Oh, wow. So an interesting little bit of history. These charities that are working in, um, you know, social services, uh, health and wellness, education, uh, arts, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, so we do find like hundreds of these charities that are all on the front lines in the city here uh, that have just really incredible stories. And then the other side uh, of the coin as well is like our donors as well, who uh, do have the foresight uh, to take the endowment approach where these funds that they set up will continue supporting those charities that they um, feel are important to them uh, for, forever, essentially. Um, that That is what um, the power of endowment is, and also where the name of the podcast comes from, the Well Endowed Podcast. You are a journalism major. Um, that's, that's your background, correct? Uh, yeah, I graduated from the journalism program at uh, McEwen uh, in 2008. Yeah, so, I mean, you have a, a you know journalistic background, so... Um, I, f- I feel it really works well with the podcast just because, again, it has kind of this very storytelling way of um, trying to promote these def- different, you know, like little endowment stuff that's going on. What draw you in into doing things like nonprofits or trying to help the community in general? And because journalism is, it sounds a little bit different. So I was working at, uh, so my last actual journalism um, gig, uh, full-time anyway, aside from freelance, uh, was at Avenue Magazine as their editorial intern. Uh, And that was after a few years as an editor at the now-defunct C Magazine, which used to be one of uh, the two alt-weeklies in Edmonton. Right. Uh, so when I left C and went to Avenue for a six month contract, um, my now wife, um, and I were wondering, okay, are we going to stay in the city or are we going to, uh, leave? And then she wound up getting, um, some really great opportunities running theater companies in town here. And so we decided to stay, but, uh, there were no journalism jobs, uh, uh, then much less now, yeah, <laughs> you know, no kidding. Uh, so, but when we both left, uh, the journalism side of things, we had a ton of people, uh, sort of come out of the woodwork and ask us, well, can you take a look at our press release? Can you, um, give us a hand? Like, how should we pitch this? How do we develop like a story, uh, angle that will be more likely to be picked up, uh, by, by the media? Uh, and, we had so many people coming out uh, and asking us these questions. We're like, well, why don't we um, start a business? So um, we did. And I, I, I won't lie, like that, that was a very big switch. And I still to this day suffer through huge separation anxiety from my <laughs> former uh, career as a straight, strict uh, journalist. Yeah, yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, but... Um, I decided that I could um, live with myself and uh, my my conscience uh, if we stuck to nonprofits and particularly arts. Um, so rather than going and applying for you know like a job at a large oil company or somewhere like that, um, I, I'm 
quite happy and uh, and 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 living uh, and have come to terms with my decision to uh, to stick with the nonprofit <laughs> side of communications. Yeah, fair enough. And I I very much familiarize myself with the with the conflict of um, moving from something that is your trade from before and trying to move to something that maybe you're not 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 uncomfortable with, but it's not something that you envision yourself. And I, you know, like, this is obviously a podcast about masculinity. And I feel this is something that um, a lot of men have uh, may issues trying to move from one career to another or have their own expectations not being met. Is that something that you that you face as well, too, like that kind of internal struggle, because your expectations weren't met when you graduated? Uh, yeah, well, I graduated from journalism school into a, I won't say a dying industry, but a, a changing uh, industry. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, being a, a writer, first and foremost, is what I wanted to be in journalism um, was at the time a way to get paid for that regularly. Um, and it was very much ingrained in my identity for sure. And just going back to um, how I got started and then why it was so ingrained, um, my grandma Paul, uh, my dad's side, um, was a writer for local newspapers um, up in northern Alberta around uh, Grimshaw and Fort Vermilion uh, up there. And I remember uh, in 2005, um, I had started scribbling for my local paper in Stony Plain, where I was living at the time, and sort of grew up. And it was very a much different, it was a very different path that I was trying to follow than um, what my family traditionally sort of does uh, for a living, which is very much blue collar. Um, oil patch, um, forestry, uh, working, you know, in, in the bush, essentially in Northern Alberta. So I was trying to, uh, sort of carve a different kind of path for me because growing up, like the path that was laid out for me was going to Fort Mac, uh, essentially, right. That is where I was supposed to kind of wind up, um, you know, <laughs> so there was a lot of, um, sort of just personal struggle with that too, uh, and identity within my family as well, sort of breaking from sort of the, the status quo and the norm, uh, pursuing something different. I remember in 2005, uh, my grandma, grandmother was going in for heart surgery that, um, you know, she knew and we kind of all knew she might not uh, make it through. And uh, she lived up north, and was, but was staying um, with my auntie Linda closer to the to the city where she uh, was going to have her surgery. And uh, she was sort of holding court um, in the upstairs bedroom at my aunt's house, and uh, people were coming in, and she wanted to spend a few moments uh, kind of alone with everybody, uh, just to sort of touch base, check in, because uh, I, I really, especially looking back, that this was probably the last time that she was um, possibly going to see any of us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, it, and it was, um, so when it was sort of my turn, uh, to go upstairs, I think I had written maybe like five or six pieces for the Stony Plain Reporter, absolute garbage pieces, <laughs> like awful <laughs> trash, like the, the worst, like a cringe when I think about those first pieces. Um, but she had all of my clippings spread out on the bed, her big 
brown, leather-bound Webster dictionary that she um, always used. Uh, she was a big Scrabble player. Uh, oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and also, you know, a, a writer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, with When I was talking with her, it, it really sort of just struck me kind of like a lightning bolt where I was just like, oh, yeah, I am your grandson. Right. This is how I fit in into this family uh, kind of deal. And... Um, yeah, and she gave me her dictionary, and um, you know, we left, and she went uh, into her surgery and passed away. Wow. Um, so the writing and the journalism side of things is very, very much ingrained in um, my my identity. For right. Sure. Right. That's a great story. I, I I when I hear that, I I appreciate the the vulnerable way that you're trying to say that you know, like. This is an identity that someone was trying to push onto me, um, the blue collar part of it, and the and just being around at this environment. It's like I feel like people don't like <clears throat> explicitly push you to do that, but like your environment pushes you to do that. Do you feel comfortable in the stuff that you're doing? Is is you feel fulfillment in that? So I really lucked out with um, my current situation being able to work at Edmonton Community Foundation uh, because my boss, the director of communications there, Carol Watson, um, has given me a magazine, has given me a a podcast um, that still employs uh, all of my journalistic training uh, and really sort of does help fill that, um, you know, that desperate need of mine to uh, still produce stories that right. I had to go through a rigorous Did she know process. that beforehand or did she know that this, this was your passion? Did she know this like this was something that she knew explicitly? Carol is very good at playing to people's strengths. Uh and uh yeah, uh, it's just been like uh, I am very lucky that uh she has that management style and uh has really just given me lots of freedom to sort of uh, pick up the pick up the ball and run uh, with these projects, the magazine and and the podcast, of course, with uh, our collaborators and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you've you know you emailed me beforehand and you said you mentioned all these uh, amazing women that have been part of your life and um, you know Carol and your grandma was worked were two of them. Um, I want to understand what what drew you to first of all wanting to talk about these women um, and. What kind of impact have they had on your life? I owe so much uh, of the success that I have in my life to uh, the women in in my life. Um, so starting with, like, uh, we talked about my grandmother. Uh, and then my first writing gig, um, uh, or my first internship, which was part of the requirement of graduating from the McEwen Journalism Program, um, was provided by Angela Brunshot, who was the news edit- editor there at the time and gave... Uh, me a foot in the door uh, at an actual magazine uh, to write news. It was there that I also met uh, my wife, who was another editor, the music editor there at the time. And, um, you know, before we started dating or seeing each other, um, you know, it was her and Angela that helped um, get me hired on full time as the staff writer at Sea. Uh, and then eventually taking um, some editorial roles uh, as well there. Um, Fonda, my wife, Fonda Mithrush, um, you know, she also helped me uh, get my foot in the door after our sort of quote-unquote straight journalism careers were over uh, into the nonprofit arts communications side of things. 
uh, where I met um, like my first like big uh, sort of gig was at the Free Will Shakespeare Festival, uh, where um, Marianne Coppathorn, the artistic director, is just uh, just a, like amazing, amazing woman. Um, you know, Shakespeare is uh, traditionally this very male-dominated. Um, uh, you know, just you know form of theater, right? Even traditional, you know, it's yeah. like even like you know, way back at the Globe, yeah. uh, you know, it was men were playing the, uh, <laughs> you know, the female parts, yeah. Uh, yeah, sort of deal. I was very lucky to come into uh, Free Will, where it was both not only a f- uh, a woman that was the artistic director, which is actually a lot more rare in Edmonton, but um, also the GMs. Uh, uh, we're also women, uh, so Fonda uh, was one, and then Cadence Conopaki as well, and now Julie Haddo. Uh, so Free Will has this like just really cool tradition of like these badass ladies running this awesome Shakespeare company uh, in, in yeah. town. Yeah, like yeah. Um, so I've been working with them for about six years now, um, and Marianne completely changed. Uh, sort of the way that I look uh, and um, feel about Shakespeare. Uh, wow. Like her 2009 um, production of Titus Andronicus was the first live Shakespeare play that, that I had seen. And it just blew my mind. Like, oh, yeah, you know, that grade 10 um, experience of like all of us reading Shakespeare <laughs> as soon as to each other. <laughs> yeah, that's not how it's supposed to be done, is it? No, no, no. Um, right, right, you know, right. And. Um, so every year I get like a university grade, uh, education on, you know, the shows that, that we're producing. Uh, and also in that vein as well, um, I started working with, uh, rapid fire theater as their (laughs) online communications coordinator. And again, um, sort of just by, by fluke, uh, another theater company in town that is, that was run by, uh, two women. So, um, Karen Brown Fornell is the GM over there, and then Amy Shostak, uh, who has since moved to Vancouver, right. uh, was the AD. I don't know why, but it's like the I, I am just very lucky to be working with like these incredible, incredible women um, that have provided me um, with so much uh, over yeah. the years. Yeah. yeah, I noticed a sense of like like a passion, and I can tell in your and even in your body language when you talk about these women that are they. I feel like they provide you purpose and provide you a vision almost. They do. They they are uh, way smarter than I am, and I just love continuing to learn um, from them. Uh, you know, and thank you, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really awesome. Like. Um, have you so have you have you had many like male bosses in your life? Uh, so mostly in. Um, yeah, pretty much, uh, except for in the nonprofit <laughs> side of things. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, yeah. A, I, I understand that. <laughs> uh, so most of my jobs growing up um, uh, have been male bosses, um, except for maybe a couple. I worked in a indigenous arts gallery for a little bit, right? Um, and Karen uh, was my boss then. Uh, but other than that, it's always been dudes. Yeah, dudes, dudes, dudes. Yeah, and it's. It's funny you say that because I find that too, like working in the kind of the social social work uh, sector, um, that most of my bosses have been female and most of my bosses have been um, really good, like nurturing, like exactly the same thing that you say. Like, um, and it's interesting you talk about um, it was Carol, right? The Carol Eddie's. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So 
that she says that um, she kind of looked at you and said, this is a strength of yours. I understand this is a passion of yours. Let's make this passion work. Let's try to work this together and we're going to make something cool and we're going to make something great about it. I feel that is a common thread sometimes. And I feel this a lot with the, the women that I work with and especially the um, the managers and the people above me um, that they look at me and say, you know what, this is a part of your passion. Let's try to make this into a reality. Um, do you find the same thing with your is that is it a shared thing? I think that, um, and this is one thing that I, I am totally uh, have adopted um, from people like Carol and Amy and Marianne and uh, Fonda, is that if if you are in a position where you uh, have authority uh, or control over or over a project uh, or you know a department or a, a business, like why wouldn't you play to your um, employees' strength. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. It just makes so much sense, right? You surround yourself with good people and get them doing what they do best, you're going to wind up with the best result. Yeah, I just, that's, I know, it's such an easy, easy thing to say, but it's, I don't know, I'm finding it much more common with uh, with female bosses. So like, like, and that's why I, I, I truly believe that there should be much more um, female leadership in this world, just because I, I just... I don't know if it's a it's a commonality. I don't know if it's biology. I don't know what it is, but I feel like this, it, there's a lot of care taken into place um, into taking care of your employees. Do you find that uh, your male bosses might tend to try to fit you into yes. a vision rather than creating a vision with you? I that's what I found, right? And I and I think like and no doubt I've had some really awesome uh, male bosses. Um, but I've definitely have gotten much more, uh, much more sense of purpose, much more sense of self, um, with, with the female bosses that I've had, like they have, they're the ones that said, you know, like, um, they know, for instance, that I, that I'm a big, I'm big passionate about helping young boys. And they're like, okay, you know what? Do, do a boys group, like do, do that thing. That's, that's, you know, do it like from start from scratch. I don't know. I don't care, but like make it happen. Um, or the ones that say, you know what, I have this awesome job or awesome position for you, apply for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's really interesting. But you're right. Like, I think a lot of male bosses have trying to say, you know what, we're, we're, you're good here in this role. I want you here in this specific role. And I, I understand that you have a passion here, but I want to let's mold you into what I, I want to be. You know what right, I mean? Right. <laughs> Do you find that too? Is that what you have? I, I, I don't know that I, with any sort of authority, I can say that that is um, a, a different trend. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that men may lean more towards, this is my vision. Here's how you fit into it. Exactly. And you can be a part of it or not. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Not all, of course. But This interview is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation and the Well Endowed Podcast, where you will hear stories about donors and what inspires their generosity. And you will hear about the people who use their support to build and sustain social initiatives, empower youth, strengthen arts and culture, and so much more. On this week's episode, you'll find Darren Hagen and a trip through queer Edmonton in the 1970s. Also, if you want to set up an endowment fund or apply for a grant through the foundation, check them out 
at ecfoundation.com. You can also check out the Well Endowed Podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com. I'm very curious as well because you you mentioned that you were from a town that that had a very blue collar attitude and a very blue collar environment, um, and you took what is considered a kind of a white collar job um, in journalism and in kind of career, um, and then later on you to get into nonprofits, which is like the quote unquote caring sector, right. which is a lot more considered in, in the traditional sense, considered a little more, more feminine. Any questions around uh, masculinity that, that people have kind of thrown on you for making these choices? Uh, uh, so I was at a family reunion um, uh, just a, a few weeks ago and there was it, my, my, I was from my dad's side, huge family, uh, 12 siblings. You know, I think there's actually about 150 of us all in, in the last count. Uh, so, you know, we meet kind of new cousins <laughs> all the time at this yeah. point. Uh, so, uh, we met, uh, I met a, a new cousin and we were, uh, we couldn't stay for the whole day. Uh, and we were sort of making our goodbye rounds sort of deal. And, um, I'll just call him cousin Jim. Um, <laughs> Was sitting uh, down and, you know, I met him about an hour ago and we're sort of like saying goodbye and getting ready to leave. And he's like, oh, why are you leaving? And I was like, well, I have to go to work. Um, and uh, he's like, oh, what do you do for a living? And I'm just like, oh, here we go. <laughs> this conversation again. Oh, I work for a theater company. And he's like, oh. <laughs> and just shut. That conversation was done. <laughs> You know, oh. and and that that is not unusual uh, for like the sort of the reactions to um, you know you know shooting the shit about work uh, with uh, with the fam jam. Yeah. Fair <laughs> you know, enough. When yeah. We get together, it's like yeah, you nobody here really wants to listen to me talk about what I do. <laughs> do you think it's because it they don't know they don't know much about it, or is it because they they think that there's a feeling of like I don't care because this is not a manly thing. I, I don't know 100% what it is. Um, I think there's definitely a view that, uh, maybe not necessarily that it's feminine, but it is uh, elitist. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. It is edu educated work. Right. Versus um, trades. Mm. Um, uh, and I think that is what is probably at the root of it. And the way that some people deal with that is to turn it into a masculinity issue mm. Um, mm. because it is easy. And, you know, um, for their definition of masculinity uh, to say, Oh, well that's gay or, right. you know, um, and, and that's just a very kind of lazy reactionary thing that, yeah. that, that happens. Um so I don't think it's that they necessarily think that it's a feminine thing. I think it's they don't understand it. And it's not that they're like bad people or anything. No, no uh, absolutely. It's just a different world, a completely different world. And, and, I, and on my uh, side of things, too, is like I actually do find what they do really fascinating. But I think I might just be a little bit more of an inquisitive mind. I, I appreciate that you say that because it is... It is a common occurrence, especially with, um, like, usually sometimes when we hear about masculine and feminine, it is definitely more of a, a class thing. Like, more of, like, what you're saying is, like, oh, they're, 
this is an elitist thing. Like you're looking down on me now. Like this is instead of saying like, okay, once you're looking down on me now, well, I can just call you gay or I can just call you a female. And now we're now going to be face to face. Taking the piss out of someone is just, I think that is a normal way that uh, certain people act in their social right. groups. Uh, you know, that is sort of the status quo. You're always doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. that is like a very big part of, you know, the culture. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you find that uncomfortable? Like t- taking the piss out of people and whatnot, like just. Oh yeah. I, I like, I don't, I don't do that. Uh, I do that with my uncles and cousins, um, but I don't do that with anybody else. Do you feel that you've had some uh, particular uh, important male role models in your life as well? My my dad, uh, of course, um, who is a very kind and gentle, humble, and honest man uh, who also works uh with his hands um you know he didn't graduate high school um and uh like many of uh his siblings um but he he is not like his other particularly brothers uh, okay. i would say um yeah he is very different and i am very thankful in a lot of ways that that is the case yeah nothing against my uncles yeah you guys do you you know (laughs) (laughs) is working for you whatever uh kind of deal um but um my dad uh one taught me how to treat women um you know uh him and my mom uh, i've been married for you know more than 30 years and uh he he is really informed sort of my moral compass and how you treat people um, you know, and that respect always comes first, um, and sometimes to a fault, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, right? Um, so my dad, absolutely for sure, um, and uh, my grandpa Clark as well, uh, who uh, is uh, my mom's dad. Um, he also um, came from a very blue collar family uh, from southern Alberta, down by Hardesty. Uh, but rather than going into, uh, blue collar work, he became, um, a public health inspector, uh, uh, for the city here and was actually running the public health, uh, department, uh, for a while until he retired. Uh, but he is also, um, was, uh, it's a big, uh, genealogy, uh, nut, um, and, uh, very much an archivist. And I also get a lot of my, um, <laughs> desperate need to record and write things down and, <laughs> you know, collect mounds of paper and family history from, uh, from him as well. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah. Grandpa Clark on my mom's side and grandma Paul on my dad's side, uh, between the two, I'm definitely, you're the mix uh, of the two. Uh, yeah. 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 Oddly <laughs> enough. <laughs> That's very cool. That's very cool. Um, I, I actually wanted to go back to, to something that you mentioned about, um, but the theater company and whatnot, because you also helped to produce um, I Don't Get It, which is a podcast about dance. Yes. Yeah. Um, by the way, I love the name. Yeah, it's a pretty good name. <laughs> yeah. I. The reason is because I, you know, my, my fiance loves dance. And my fiance, like, takes me out to, like, these dance productions. And, like, her best friend um, is a dancer, too. So so we, got, we go out to see her dance or we there's dance stuff that we go see. And... 
I'm just like brand new to it. And some things I'm just like, I just go to her. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand this. I really don't get it. I don't get what's going on. But the more I watch it, the more I see it, then I was like, oh, wait, this. Oh, yeah, yeah, wait, wait. I understand. This is a, this is a story. I get it now. Like, um, so I think it's a perfect, perfect um, kind of an intro to dance. Tell me about the podcast. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, so the so I don't get it uh, came about when um, this would be well, maybe almost four years ago now. Uh, the dance community uh, was not felt that they were not getting the coverage uh, in media that other um, art scenes were, like theater, uh, for example. So they wrote an open letter and sent it to a bunch of the editors and producers um, around town, uh, including Paul Blinov, who. Uh, was the arts editor at View Weekly at the time. And uh, my wife, Fonda, uh, is uh, one of like the dance writers in, in town and has been for, for years, uh, who was also not getting you know, assignments to talk about dance. Uh, so right. maybe there'll be... Um, so what was happening was dance uh, shows would get maybe a preview uh, but never any sort of uh, review, which uh, theaters get. And there's a lot of reasons for that, particularly because they don't have like week-long runs uh, or anything. So by the time the review comes out, the show's over and nobody can go see it. So, mm-hmm. um, But um, Paul and Fonda, after this letter was sent out, uh, decided that, well, we could just do a podcast and talk about dance. And uh, Paul knew nothing about contemporary dance. And... Fonda has been writing about it for like over 10 years. Um, so uh, that dynamic with the hosts um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is essentially throwing Paul uh, into the, into the mix and being like, what is this? What is going on? <laughs> and then sitting down with Fonda and Fonda being like, okay, well here is what was uh, sort of going on and talking a little bit about um, maybe some of the, the influence and where some of this movement has come from or has been seen before. Um, and then also just about what they actually saw, like sort of describing and just talking about the show itself. Um, so arts criticism um, is very much has been declining for, for years and years and, right. and even more to this day. So right. actually having kind of critical dialogue about the art that is being created rather than just doing straight up interviews and promo uh, preview pieces uh we stepped in with the podcast to provide the sort of criticism uh, side of thing, which is very important, um, not only for the audiences, but also for the arts community uh, to make it stronger, um, you know, eventually down the road. You know, when people are talking about something and artists are hearing what their audience is seeing, what they think about it, um, you know, that is helpful to them, uh, whether they want to hear it at the time or not. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> kind of yeah. deal, right? <laughs> um, so we did three seasons. I think we have 50 episodes. Um, and then we took a little bit of a hiatus um, just because Paul uh, changed jobs. Uh, and... Uh, we, so we've taken a little bit of break for, for a year now, uh, but are thinking about bringing it back uh, again uh, and possibly expanding it beyond just dance. Hmm. Uh, we're not 100%, 100% sure yet, um, but uh, what we, we're finding is like the dance community here is, is quite small. Right. Um, so after about two seasons, we found that we were kind of like even just remounts of the same shows started popping up or... Um, producing companies like Brian Webb would be bringing in the same artists over and over again. It's like, okay, well, we've sort of 
yeah. done this. Um, uh, so we sort of decided, well, let's take a break. We'll come back. Um, we'll give it a season. We'll come back um, and sort of reassess what the the scene is doing, what the community is up to, uh, and see if we want to stick straight with dance or if we do we want to branch out. Uh, because particularly with like the merging of uh, the Edmonton Sun and the Edmonton Journal, uh, and even View Weekly, you know their right. their uh, page count is is getting smaller and smaller. It really seems almost yeah. every week. Yeah. Um, there is just for the arts uh, and for everything, much less city hall coverage. You know, <laughs> like uh, it is just like <laughs> there is nobody doing it. No. Um, yeah, in all honesty, a lot of the seasons even felt like they were repeating themselves a little bit. We had seen, you know, the cycle of, uh, you know, ballet shows even that had been like playing for two of the three years that we had been covering dance. So we thought, well, let's just step back for a while. Um, but it's going to be a great season. Frankly, I think what I'm most excited about um and one of the main reasons that we brought back the podcast is because Kid Pivot is coming back to Edmonton. Right, that was uh, that was a big deal uh, and something we wanted to talk about not just as 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 friends and people going to see a show, but maybe in a in a broader perspective. Tell me a little bit about Kid Pivot Fonda and and what uh, what gives that that name such such weight and meaning to you. So, what is sort of like you know journalism two going to look like? And um, we're chasing the the podcast dream <laughs> on that one, right? I, uh, to sort of fill those voids. Uh, I agree. I think that the, the I think podcast is where. Well, I mean, I'm a little biased, but <laughs> um, I think podcast is where it's at. Like, I I also work for a, a municipal area, and uh, I'm trying to push podcasts as a, as the medium to like to expand these stories. And you're right. Like, I think. It's a it's a void that's left, but I think people just need to fill that void with something else, and I think people can, and I think that's I think that's a great idea of, of having that podcast and like and having um I love the concept of the 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 ignorant host almost of just having to explain because I think it, it adds a lot to to a person who doesn't understand or doesn't under like doesn't really get dance or doesn't really get a certain art medium um just to have somebody kind of explain it because i think jumping into something and trying to understand the, the jargon or trying to understand what's going on is is difficult right yeah particularly when there's a lot of time with contemporary dance there's no narrative yeah there's there's no narrative to sort of grab onto um but people are just very narrative driven uh yeah. and are always looking for that like that is just an instinct but that's not what contemporary dance is it's images you know um have you enjoyed dance for a long time or the single best live show i've ever seen was called dark matters by a uh by kid pivot um is the performer's uh name uh it blew my freaking mind mm. um and i was like oh yeah contemporary dance awesome not all contemporary dance mind you but i was like oh yeah no this is like hands down the best live show that that i have uh, ever seen um and once you see a show like that then you kind of start to get it mm-hmm. the problem is those shows are frankly very few and far between right and there is a lot of dance out there that is very hard to sit through and so when we go out to shows we will decide like okay do we want to invite anybody 
because we kind of know what the companies kind of do and what we will probably see uh, to some extent in yeah. each of their shows. So, yeah. you know, this company, you don't usually bring new audience to it because they're not a good introduction for a new audience member to dance. Whereas others, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, like Mile Zero Dance, for example. Yeah. Um, like Jerry Marita and, and the gang over there, um, you know, always bringing people to come see what they're up to because um, – yeah, that that is definitely a good entry point to a very kind of abstract and often just like a very unfairly stereotyped um, yeah. form. Um, I was just going to ask you about that 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 kind of that that stereotypical thing because it, it feels like, and you know, there's dancers of all of all genders that I've seen, and like, um, but it does seem like it's a very stereotypically female area or something that's like other. A woman has to kind of just drag you to try to see it. So, do you feel like that dance has become to a place where where they're trying to drive in a lot more men, or is that is that a problem? Is like, do you see it as a problem? Or yeah, well, I would say definitely the audiences, and you know, most of the companies are predominantly female. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, um, or non male identifying. Yes, uh, folk. yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. I think maybe guys are just generally uncomfortable with bodies perhaps uh and dance is all body um yeah. you know and and it's not and contemporary dance is not about beauty beautiful body uh movement either it is sometimes very jarring and disturbing and it's like Ugh. <laughs> like totally uh, totally you know but that um you know maybe is a, a little bit more difficult for for men to uh, to get, so to it, speak. It, um, I find that weird because I'm like, I see that in def definitely different art forms. Like you see it in, you see it in movies or you see it in, in just like paintings and stuff like that. Something that's like, can be either very beautiful or just jarring. But like, for some reason, dance feels like it's like, why does it have to be so, I don't, this is not dance's problem, but why do, why do I, why do people believe that this is still a very female thing? Yeah, well, I think it's because um, of movies like Old School, where they have the interpretive dance type <laughs> yeah. jokes. Um, and I just want to go on the record here. There's no such thing as, like, interpretive dance. All dance is interpretive. <laughs> There's contemporary dance. There you go. Spit some truth, Andrew. <laughs> um but it, it is made fun of um, in, in pop culture. It is not taken... Um, uh, it's like seriously even though like take film choreography is huge fight scenes are dance in movies like, pretty much on, yeah like, pretty much know. yeah you no know, it is like yeah. you know fight choreographers <laughs> are in the credits very important um but the way so maybe this is a little bit inside the way that i talk about contemporary dance to um men versus um non-binary yeah. uh, non-male identified uh, yeah absolutely um so with men um i'll be like come check this out it's gonna be really weird probably and you just gotta see it um i'm taking you have no trust <laughs> you just drag them in <laughs> yeah but then when they do go there's like oh what like that was just what was that <laughs> kind of deal um 
or we'll get a dud and a big, okay, yeah, sorry. I know you're not going to come to any more dance with me ever again, uh, but I'll keep trying. Yeah, keep trying. <laughs> kind right? of deal. Exactly. Um, but no, I, I think that men um, typically do have a different kind of body issues. Um, Absolutely. 100%. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, it is a much harder sell to, to get um, one of my dude friends uh, to come to a contemporary dance show than um, my other friends. Yeah. That, I, I, that's a, that's an interesting point about uh, like body issues. Can, can you give me some, a little bit more about that? Like, why do why do you feel guys have a, a, an, an issue with bodies? Well, I can tell you why I have an issue with my body and dancing. I'm Please. a terrible dancer. <laughs> me too. You know, and, and it, it, it was just, uh, you know, I've never really been into dancing myself um, and am extremely self-conscious when I'm, you know, at a wedding or in at a party where, uh, or, or a show, a concert or something. Um, you know, I would much rather people watch and observe from the sides lines. And, um, you know, I think it's very easy, um, and, to sort of just write off the art form of dance uh, as it's like, no, I just kind of don't want anything to do with that. Cause I am terrible and self-conscious mm-hmm. about that myself. Um, what would people think if I told them, what would, what would my uncles think if I told them that I was going to a contemporary dance show <laughs> or to be in a contemporary dance show <laughs> or, or be, even just dance in general? Like, yeah. That's... Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure why, I'm not sure why guys have such a, a hang up on it. Even like the ballet, you know, like straight white guys, like, it is a show that is just the most beautiful bodies in motion that you will ever see in your life. Like, why not? Why not? Yeah, like, yeah. give it a try. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and it's, and it's interesting. You said the straight white males, um, because I, as a Latino, like, like dance is a big part of our culture. Like, and it's right, really, right. um, one of those things where I, I'm a little bit ashamed of as myself as a guy, uh, because I am not a really good Latin dancer, so it's it's interesting to like hear to say like oh in, in Western culture or at least in North American culture uh, to say like dance is not like you know that's not a big deal if you're not a good dancer, but if you but if in Chile if I say like like when we go dancing you can freaking go dancing like, <laughs> right right yeah. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> go salsa dancing or whatever so it's it is. It's also a knock on my own masculinity to say like I'm not that good of a dancer, like Latin dancer. So it's like, it's 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 fascinating those two things, those the dichotomy of those two areas where it's like, like I'm, I'm like damned if you do, damned if you don't, almost. Yeah, but I think those are two stereotypes, right? Right, exactly. Uh, you know, it's like yeah, white dudes can't dance, and you know, Latin guys can dance, must dance, they must <laughs> dance. Exactly, that's the. It's fascinating. It's, it's interesting we went through it. It's, it's really cool. Um, Andrew, you know what? Like, you've been really gracious with your time. So I, I have one last question for you. And this is the question that I end every show with and every, every guest. Um, what is a piece of advice that you would like to – that you've heard yourself or um, that you would want to give out to other males? Get uncomfortable. Get outside of your box. Just try to have a little bit of empathy and go throw yourself into some different situations that you normally wouldn't uh, find yourself in. Um, you know, uh, the world is a very big place, uh, and I think it's not just men, but everybody's job to go and explore it and ex- explore it with a curious mind uh, and, and an open one. 
because life will get a lot better for you probably if you do that. Andrew, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. This is a really cool interview, and I and I'm and I'm happy the the topics that we went to because I thought they were they were fascinating. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that interview with Andrew Paul. And you can find out more about the Well Endowed Podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Now, for this week's Span of the Hour, I wanted to highlight Desmond Cole. He's an activist journalist and radio talk show host in Toronto. And I wanted to highlight his and others' fight to help out Beverly Braham, a Jamaican mother from being deported. That also highlights a couple of months of activism on Desmond's part. Desmond has been all around the country trying to highlight different things that have been going on that has been skimming around the surface. One being shining a spotlight on the carding techniques of the Toronto police forcing who were targeting people of color, which in turn shined a spotlight on the techniques done by other municipal police forces, especially one here in Edmonton. Now Desmond has been a voice for people of color all around the country. And not only that, he's been willing to pass the mic to other people around him. He strains significantly to, for other people to be represented. And not only he does that through his radio talk show host, but he does that through all the mediums that he has faced. And I really hope you get a chance to hear Desmond speak because he is an energizing force. He's definitely one that you can just give the mic to and he will spout off some truths and for that he gets our man of the hour thank you for listening to another episode of the modern manhood podcast i'm very happy that you stopped by and uh and given this podcast the support that it needs if you want to support it through a monetary way please check out our patreon page it's at patreon.com slash modern man pod um i've changed up some of the tiers there um i've also got some swag that it's some swag that's coming up you know, I I am toying around this idea of selling some stuff. So if you wanna if you wanted to get some stuff around masculinity and around modern manhood, send me a shout. Let, I want to hear your feedback. Let me know what you think. If you want to hear any more episodes of Modern Manhood, please check out modernmanhood.org. You can also leave me some comments. Uh, you can send me an email at modernmanhoodpodcast at gmail Also, if you do want to be a part of the show, I'm always accepting invitations. I'm always accepting. Um, other people, a lot of people have emailed me already. I'm trying to get through a lot of them. But at the same time, please do so. I tr- I will read every single email that you send me. And that's it for our show. You can find me on Twitter at Modern Man Pod. You can find me on Instagram at Modern Man Pod. You can also find me on Facebook if you're still using that. <laughs> I know I do still. Anyways, have a great week. We'll see you next time on the Modern Manhood Podcast. <laughs>